welcome to the podcast of Broadway Baptist Church in Lexington, Kentucky, and the preaching of Pastor Daniel Othman, a biblical church centered on Christ. Here in Big Church, we want to open up our Bibles to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, and then we're going to flip over in a little bit, and we're going to see in our Bibles in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 13. Today begins a new sermon series on what we call the family. And God has established three institutions. This is so foundational, these three institutions, that we need to understand that they come from the Lord. That's all that the Lord established. He established the family in Genesis chapter 1 and in Genesis chapter 2. And that was his first institution. The second institution he established is government. And that's all you hear about in the news today is government. And it's all over the place and politics and the silliness of that. And that actually was established by the Lord uh, for the purpose of the death penalty when Noah got all, and his uh, family got off the ark in Genesis chapter 9 because uh, they said, we're not going to have people running around killing people. If you go and kill someone, you yourself are going to be killed. That, so the very first uh, governmental law actually was the death penalty, and that came from the Lord in Genesis chapter 9. And the third institution that was established by the Lord actually was established by Jesus in the book of Matthew chapter 16, where he told Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail over it. Meaning there's going to be an institution called the church, which we are part of right now, and that is established by the Lord with a greater purpose of that is how God has chosen now in what we call the New Testament, the new covenant with Jesus' death, and his resurrection, how he has chosen to work throughout all of humanity. So understand, those three institutions were the only ones that were established by the Lord. Family, government, and church. Now, if you were the devil, and you wanted to destroy the work of the Lord here in, in the world, what three institutions would you go after? I mean, this is so simple. You, if you were Satan, you think you, you have been cast, the Bible teaches that the devil was cast out of heaven because he wanted to be like God based on Isaiah chapter 14, Isaiah chapter 15, because he, he, he led a rebellion against the Lord. This occurred here uh, uh, sometime before this, uh, we, we read this passage here. And he led this rebellion. God kicks him out of heaven. And he's leading a, a rebellion today, I believe, against those three institutions. So you look at what has become corrupt. Has family become corrupt? I mean, look at the confusion in family of today. The, the redefinition, the brokenness, the pain, the lostness, the missed priorities of family. That's what we're going about to, to look at today. And how I believe, I, I, we can see here in the Bible, that the one thing the devil wants to destroy, first of those three institutions, is the family. Look at the corruption of government. We almost have to laugh when we say that. I mean, does anyone believe any governmental politician? Anymore? I mean, it's just, you almost, can, can an elected official tell the truth? I mean, is that possible? I mean, it's, and it's not just in our country. That is literally everywhere. If you, if you give some money to a government, you know that's not what it's going to be used for. That's, a, that's almost a promise. You can guarantee this money will not be used for this. And then you look at the church and how the, even the church has become corrupted. They've drifted away, the church, from the Word of God. 
So when we look at where the devil attacks in our life, it is those three areas, not just our life, the whole world. Family, government, church. And the devil knows if I get those three areas corrupted because those were founded by the Lord and the Lord established all three of those, I can deceive billions and billions of people and lead them into hell. But today we're going to look, I believe, at the most important of those three institutions. And we're going to see how it is possible for us, if we aren't, if we aren't aware of the most important institution of the family, how our family, your family, will come into under attack and you will have a family of misguided priorities. So before, I, before we read this, I want to go over God's plan for the family. Because you have to understand, what, what is the Lord's plan for a family? And it's actually very simple. Uh, it's a simple plan. Number one, a man and a woman get married. And they are to both be believers. I've got this up here on the screen. They're to be both believers in Christ. So a saved person marries another saved person. A saved woman marries a saved man. And they both love the Lord, they get married. These are two believers coming together. And one flesh. That's God's plan. For everybody growing up, He wants to see people saved. That's why we, there has to be, that's why you want to be praying for your children, your grandchildren, their future spouse, for their salvation, that they marry a godly person who loves the Lord. Number two, the couple, they have children. They have, they have children in their, in their family, in their marriage. And the parents then teach their children about Jesus. They bring them to church. They read the Bible with them. They teach them in Sunday school. They pray with them. The children learn about the Lord. That is God's plan. They actually are to learn. The Bible actually says the primary teacher of children about the Lord actually comes from mom and dad. Those are the primary teachers. All the book of Proverbs is about this, about the um, importance of parents, and I would even say today grandparents teaching their children and grandchildren about Jesus and then the children grow up in a Christ-centered home. Mom and dad have a Christ-centered home that goes to church, that honors the Lord. The little children accept Jesus. They marry a godly spouse. And then those people teach their children about the Lord. And this is a, a cycle that just goes around life. That is the cycle of life of God's plan for the family. That is what He desires to see. Now, were you and I clearly taught that? Do children today, these children in school, do, do they understand this plan? Is, are you being told this? Are your grandkids, do they, are they fully even aware that this is their plan for their life? I think this plan, which the Lord has established for all of us, has been so distorted if you go and present this to your children and grandchildren, they laugh. They're thinking, that, that's it? And we have to make sure, says, yes, this is God's plan and purpose for your life. The things of the world distract us from the, the plan and the purpose of the family. And the devil is a master at getting every other priority 
uh, in place to replace this. And you know, the family is the foundation. Folks, we have to get it right. You, if there's something you have to get right, you have to get right the family. You say, why is that? It's a battle that must be won. And the reason it must be won is because it's actually a spiritual battle. The devil desires to totally confuse and corrupt this first institution. And we see that confusion all around. It is all around us. And do you know a lot of times when we hear about family dysfunction and even family uh, confusion, uh, we might think it's a relational issue, but it's actually not. It's actually more of a spiritual issue. When families have problems, those are actual spiritual problems more so than relational problems. Relational problems can actually easily be solved by the Lord. But what the foundational problems or foundational issues are understanding building your house upon the rock, which who is the Lord, and that your home is to be built upon that. The weaker your family is spiritually, the more rule the devil and the more influence the devil has in your home. And we want to make sure our family institutions, your family, your grandkids, that they have a rock-solid belief understanding this from the Lord. Before we turn here in Genesis chapter 2, I wanna, I, we don't want to turn there. I want to show you a Bible verse here, here in Ephesians. This is what the devil does. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. It teaches us here. It's up here on the screen. Ephesians 6, 12. It says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Meaning, Paul is writing to this church saying, you think your battle is against flesh and blood, but it's, it's not really a flesh and blood. It's not a, it's not a relational battle. The battles we actually go through are spiritual battles. And it's against the devil and his, his, uh, his longing to destroy your home. And as we read these scripture passages, we're about to see here in Genesis chapter 2, and then in Matthew chapter 13, we're going to see so apparent how the devil's work is to blind us from the truth of the family. So you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles here to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. Um, actually, I'll, I'll tell you what happened in chapter 1. Chapter 1 and chapter 2 uh, in many ways, are parallel creation stories are very similar. Chapter 2 goes into more detail. Uh, chapter 1 is the uh, seven days of uh, creations, uh, six days of work, and then the seventh day of rest. But then we get to uh, chapter 2, and God gives us more details about those days and about the tree of life, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and then how Adam named all the animals in Adam's work and about why, uh, why he created a, a, a helper corresponding to him. Actually, I want to pick up in verse 18. So I'm going to start here in Genesis 2.18, and we're going to read in verse 25. You want to follow along in your Bibles. This here is um, the Lord speaking to Adam. Eve has not been created yet. In verse 18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. It's not good for people to be alone. God, has a, God knew his original purpose was to create a family. Adam was not to ju just be a single man throughout his entire life. I will make a helper corresponding to him. So God's going to make him a helper. 
The Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was his name. So the word Adam means man. So Adam here, he's your one and only man at this time. Yet God, before he created Eve, he created all of these other animals and birds. And he has he's told Adam, Adam, there's going to be this helper who's corresponding to you, who's similar, who's like you. She's coming. But before you see her, you're going to get paraded. Every animal I've ever created, every bird is going to fly by, and you're going to sit in your chair, and you're just going to name these animals. Just give them some random name. Whatever you think of, Adam. Whatever you want to call the little animals, and the big animals. Here comes the, the, the zoo parade. It's just going to go in front of Adam, and he's going to name them. And he's also shopping from all of these animals. For his helper corresponding. He doesn't know who this person is. He has no idea. He's just a single man. And God created Adam as a man. He wasn't created as a a little boy who grew up. So he was a grown man when God created him. Adam Adam and Eve are the only people who didn't, they were never children. They just, they showed up as humans, as, as adults, so to say. So he's looking for an adult corresponding helper. And he doesn't see it. He sees all these animals. And he's probably thinking, nope, nope, nope. And he's just, I'm sure this is getting boring to him because he's truly seen all the animals. So then we pick up here in verse 20. It says, The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. So Adam's sleeping. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. So God performs an operation while Adam is in a deep sleep. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. So all of a sudden, this woman shows up, This is Eve. She came from Adam while he was sleeping. God, remember, where was Adam? He was actually created from the dust of the earth. The Bible teaches us. God just took the dust and created Adam. How was Eve created? God took a rib from Adam and says, I'm going to, while you're sleeping, I'm going to go in there and grab one and I'm going to close it up. You won't see any incision. You'll never know, Adam. It's going to be a secret operation. So God performs an operation because God, the Bible teaches us, is the great physician. This is our first surgery here in the Bible. God performed the first surgery. He's also a physician. He removed a rib from Adam and closed it up. And here comes, he takes that rib and he creates Eve from that. This This is the establishment of the family right here. And, and, he, he, and he presents her. It's a wedding. He's saying, here she is. You saw all the other animals and the birds, and they didn't meet your needs. But here is Eve. And the man said, this one at last. Do you know why he said at last? Because I had to look at 45,000 animals through the whole world zoo. You had to pray it in front of me before I finally, it was probably, who knows how long that took. Had to name them as well. We had to go through all of that. And at last, is bone of my bone, 
and flesh of my flesh, this one will be called woman, for she was taken from me. God, I'm sure, told Adam, says, Adam, I, I took Eve from you. She is from you. Her name is woman. And then we see God's plan. So this is the first wedding right here. God is the one who's uh, sanctifying this wedding. He has brought these two together. She came from Him. And my favorite phrase is when we say at last, it's like He, is, well, he was so ready and eager to meet His bride. And finally she showed up and walked down the aisle. And the Lord walked her down the aisle. Literally, Eve did. Came, the Lord presented her, it says. This is why a man leaves his father and mother, your children, your grandchildren, should grow up and they should leave home. Did y'all know that? If you have little children and grandchildren, they grow up, they get a job. If they don't make enough money, they get a second and a third and fourth job and they work. It says they leave home. And this is what they do. It says they leave mom and dad. We all love mom and dad, but we grow up. And it says, and bonds with his wife. So there's a marriage that takes place. A man and a woman, they get married. And the Bible says they become one flesh. Meaning, they start their own family. So you have this person. They were raised by mom and dad. They learned about Jesus. They went to Sunday school. They got saved. They went to revival. They got baptized. And they came up through the pipeline. And they said, okay, you're now, it's time for you to go. You know, you've grown up, you're a man, you're a woman. It's, it's time to, you know, we're going to push you out the door. We don't live in the basement, play video games our whole life. And then it says here, they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet they felt no shame. That means they lived in perfect, sinless harmony. This is God's plan for all of humanity, you leave home, you leave mom and dad, you grow up, you take responsibility, you get married, and you become one flesh. And in that context, that is how you create your own family. And then your little children, you teach them about the Lord, and then you push them out of the house. And you walk them down the aisle, and they get married. And they do that. This is the cycle of life right here. This is the pure, uncorrupted family. This is God's plan for humanity. And it was right there started by God with Adam and Eve. Now, what I just read is so clear in the Bible. Yet that, this story, this biblical truth is absolutely under attack everywhere we look. God's plan is a one flesh relationship with your spouse. So if you have children or grandchildren and they are not married, you daily should be praying for your children and your grandchildren. For who are they going to marry? Are they going to be godly parents? Are they going to raise their children in the church? Because that is the one flesh relationship the Lord desires for us. So what happens for us, our priorities, knowing, knowing this, I have this up on the screen about our priorities, how we, how we walk through this. So 
if you, you, we know the institution of family. We know God's plan for what He has for humanity. So our priorities today should line up with this first institution. Your first priority in life should be that you want to make sure and uh, examine your salvation and make sure you have Christ as your Savior. You want to make sure you're saved. That's what we do every Sunday here at church. You always examine your life. Say, am I saved? Is Jesus Christ the Lord of my life? Do I daily wake up and live for Him? Secondly, if you're single, I, guys, I have this up on, on the screen. It's under my, our priorities. If you're singer, single, you should be praying for a godly spouse. Any single folks here today, you don't need to raise your hand. Some people are starting to look around. See if anybody raise their hand. You want to be praying. I will, you want to say, Lord, bring a godly spouse into my life. Bring someone who, who has this same desire, this same belief of what I just read out of Genesis chapter 2. If you have single people in your house, you need them to read Genesis chapter 2, what I just read, verses 18 through 25. They need to know this. They need to be fully aware, hey, here is what, here is what I should be praying for a godly spouse. And number three, if you have children or grandchildren, you want to share Christ with them. You want to make sure your children and your grandchildren are saved. That's what you want to do. That's a priority. You want to examine your own salvation. If, you, if you're single, you want to be praying for a godly spouse. And not only that, if you are married or you have kids or grandkids, you want to be praying that they get saved. These are our priorities in life. And that priority is making sure my family knows the Lord. That they are first and foremost in a relationship with Christ. That is a must for our families. And we look at this, and the, the corruption of this is all around. Do your grandkids, do your children, do they think this way? Or are they waiting for the next video game, the next post on social media, the next uh, event to go see, just the next activity, the next text to come through? And the Lord is saying, no, that is... You want to be set free of this corruption that is all around us. Our desire is for the Lord, for single folks. Our desire is for God to bring us a, a godly spouse. If you're married, you want to be praying for your children and your grandchildren. If you don't have any children or grandchildren, you pray for your nieces and nephews. You pray for your immediate surroundings that they know the Lord. Listen, if we can't share the gospel, if we can't be a witness to the people who live in our home, who the people who we pay the bills for, who the people whom we claim we love the most, if we aren't a witness to them, how can we be a witness to our friends at work and at the senior center and at school? Folks, living for Jesus starts in your home. It starts among those whom you love the most. If you're here this morning and you came to church and you left people at your house for whatever reason, they're not here. They give excuses, they're busy doing something else. That should break your heart. You should be, it should, you should be bothered. You should have, a, as the Bible, old preachers used to say, you should have a burden. You should be burdened for your family members that aren't in God's house on Sunday morning.
And Lord, you should never lift, remove that burden for you. You should never go grow cold for the lostness and the unchurchedness of your family members. Now flip over here in your Bibles to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 13. This will be our last scripture this morning we're going to look at. Matthew chapter 13, verse 53. We're going to see here what happened with Jesus. Jesus has launched his ministry by this point. He is moving along, doing great things, healing people, miracles are occurring, and all of a sudden, he's gr growing up. Jesus' life is, he was born in Bethlehem, he had to go to Egypt to flee Herod, then when he came back, he didn't go um, to, back to Bethlehem or Jerusalem, he went to Nazareth, that's in a, the northern area of Israel, a region called Galilee. He went and he was raised in Nazareth. That's where he grew up. So that's where Mary and Joseph went there and he spent most of his life, probably close to 30 years, 28 years, in Nazareth, living in this hometown. His father, Joseph, was a carpenter. Most likely, we don't hear much about Joseph during Jesus' ministry, so that meant Joseph likely, uh, Mary was probably a young widow, Joseph probably died most likely died while Jesus was, he could have been a teenager or in his, uh, we know Joseph was there when he was 12 when he went to the temple, but Joseph was not there when he was 30 when he launched his ministry. So somewhere between ages 12 and age 30, his earthly father, uh, who, uh, who had uh, served as his stepfather, Joseph, the carpenter, he passed away. So Mary raised her son, Jesus. Now, we don't know when he passed, he passed away. He could have passed away when he was 29 years old. So Mary is a young widow. That's who uh, we, we see here with Jesus. And he's, he, he's going to go back to his hometown of Nazareth. You know, in many ways, you go to your hometown, and it is the most difficult place uh, to serve. Because all they do is, for whatever reason... When you go back home, people start telling stories about when you were in elementary and middle school. Have you ever been to a funeral before? And well, you'll have family members come share. Uh, not, not the preacher, but you'll have a family member that knew this person from years and years ago, like when, back when they were small children. And every story that's told by that family member, the person who was deceased was nine years old. They go back, the only person who knows that, even the spouse, that's before the spouse even met their husband or wife at that point. They're just telling stories from their nine and ten years old. They, they go back to their childhood. And I believe that's what we see here with Jesus. He's going to go back to Nazareth where he was raised. And he knew this whole community. And they look at him and all they remember is that's Jesus. He used to play with a ball in the in the backyard over there, down the street. You know, he, who, who does he think he is? And for us, in many ways, we have to be consciously aware when we want to be bold in our faith and we want to be a witness to our family members, that might be some of the hardest opposition you will ever meet. And that's why we have to make sure we're aware that the devil wants to blind. And the way the, way the devil blinds our family members from us being a witness is by our credibility. Because family knows everything you've ever done and they will remember 20 years ago when you told a lie and they will hold that against you for eternity. And say, 
how can you tell me about Jesus when you did this 17 and a half years ago? I still haven't forgiven you and you owe me money. And that's what folks will tell you. And that's how the devil corrupts uh, your witness among your family. And that's literally what we're about to see right here. Matthew chapter 13, verse 53. Look what God's Word says. When you decide that you are... You want to be a bold witness and you are concerned for the spiritual well-being and not only that, for the spiritual protection of your family from the evil one, you are going to encounter this, what Jesus encountered. When Jesus had finished these parables, He left there and He went to His hometown and began to teach them in their synagogue. So they were astonished. So they're astonished. And when you see someone say or do something phenomenal, or you are impressed by them, probably a lot of us today, we go and Google them and say, who is this person? Like, I want to know more. What's their background? Like, help me learn about how did they get this skill here. So this is what they said. The first thing they said, where did this man get this wisdom? And these miraculous powers. Do you know why they said that? They're like, I went to the same school, the same high school as this guy Jesus. Like, what teacher did he have? Because we went to the same college and the same middle and high school. How does he get these qualifications? They go and looked at him. And I'll tell you, they were thinking of themselves. Because they thought, uh, I used to sit down and eat dinner with this man. We went to the same school. We played ball together. Like, I grew up with this guy. How did he get this power and this ability and this skill and this wisdom that I don't have? I guarantee you that's what they're thinking. Folks are selfish. They want to see, why can you do that and I can't? Like, we're literally, I know your mom and dad. Like, uh, I know your brothers. Like, we were raised in the same synagogue, the same church together. And then they go on to say in verse 55, isn't this the carpenter's son? That's a reference to Joseph. Because Jesus was, was, was a carpenter as, as well. His dad taught him that trade. He, he, he was a woodworker. Isn't his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? They named four of his brothers. They looked at Jesus and said, who do you think you are? I know your daddy before he passed away. I know your mama. And I know your four brothers. All you are is a carpenter down there on Main Street at that shop. And you're, you have this wisdom and this miraculous power. Folks, when we get bold for our faith in our family, this is what we encounter. Being a witness at home is challenging. Because this, this is how people bring you back to who you are. They remind you of your earthly identity. Even though you've been saved, even though you've been born again, even though your kingdom and your home is in heaven, Jesus at this point, by these questions, He's being brought back down to earth, saying, I know your home's in heaven, but you, Jesus, you are, you're, you're this God just like us. We are one of you. You're not any different than we are. And look what it goes on to say. It says, and his sisters, aren't they all with us? So where does he get all these things? Because they don't don't have them. And they were offended by him. Instead of believing in him, 
they took offense. They said, how dare you come in here doing this? You show up and you, you're acting impressive. We're not impressed, Jesus. Jesus said to him, a prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown and in his household. So, in your hometown and in your household, if you decide to follow the Lord, your greatest obstacle is going to be at home. It's going to be in Lexington. It's going to be at work, at school. It's going to be the people who know you the most. Do you know if you get saved? You know, we had what, 10 folks saved and baptized during revival week last so a week and a half ago. God did great things. A lot of those folks will go to school. We had a lot of college students saved and baptized. They'll go to work. They'll go back to their... And they'll share that story that they got saved and baptized. And there will be people who know them who are secretly thinking in the back of their mind, we'll see if that lasts. We'll see how long you really live for Jesus. And they don't, they don't believe it. Because all they know is they know the old self. And what living, when you are saved, it is a transformation. When you decide to make a godly home, a godly marriage, raising godly ch- children and grandchildren, that is a transformation. You're, you're beginning to walk down that road, that endeavor you're going to take. And people who are doubters, they're going to be just like these folks here at Jesus' hometown, and they're going to look, and they're going to say, uh-uh, I, I don't believe. I don't believe it. Because I know who you are on a regular basis. And this is one of the saddest verses here in the Bible. Jesus' hometown, the people whom He was raised with, the people whom He loved, whom his, who He would want to see saved. In verse 58 it says, And He did not do many miracles there. Why? Because of their unbelief. Their unbelief. His family, His friends were lost. They did not believe. Do you know one of His brothers is named James? And we believe in church history and looking at the book of Acts, James most likely became a... Because you don't hear about him until the book of Acts comes along. James, one of his brothers didn't become a believer until after his resurrection. Jesus had to basically go three years, die on a cross, raised again on the third day, ascend to heaven 40 days after that. And then finally, his brother James became a believer. And we see him as a leader in the early church. He also died for his faith as well. But it took that long for him to believe. And a lot of times that's the same way for us. You will be praying for your family and your grandchildren, your husband and your children, for your granddaughter to know the Lord. And I'll tell you, they actually might not get saved until you're in heaven. But we, we are confident our prayers to the Lord for our family members to get saved, they do not fall on deaf ears. Our priority as believers starts in our hometown, in our household. Our neighbors, the people we sit next to, the people we talk to daily, that is how we advance the gospel at home. Absolutely. Do we need to be praying for Gaza and Israel? Absolutely, that needs to be in our prayer life. We want to see the gospel advance over there in the Middle East. But folks, our 
our Jerusalem right here is, in our, is your street, is your house, is Lexington. This is how the gospel advances. And for us, going back to the family, the protection of our family, we need to recognize this, this first and foremost institution is the one that the devil wants to corrupt the most and distort it, destroy it. I'm not going to get into divorce or remarriage on Wednesday night. I'm studying that actively right now. You can come and learn all about that. That's not God's plan, plan at all for a family, for divorce and remarriage. But what is God's plan for a family is that folks have children and grandchildren that grow up, learn about the Lord, and get saved. And our role in that is for us to be actively leading and teaching and praying for the people in your household, the people in your immediate family, your brothers and sisters, your parents, to know the Lord. How sad would it be that if you're in heaven, the person you used to sleep in the bed next to, the person who was in the room next to you all through decades and decades is not there in heaven with you. It would be tragic. And we want to have a brokenness and a burden for those whom we claim we love the most. And we, have to be, we always have to be aware that this first institution is going to be the one that the devil seeks to destroy and to blind those we love the most from the truth. And that is why it requires more prayer. It should drive, your family should drive you to the, your knees more than anything else. Do you have any lost family members, unchurched family members? Do you know anybody in your, maybe not in your home, but in your immediate family, your greater family, that does not know the Lord. I want to tell you, this Thanksgiving, Christmas season, you're going to see them. You want to be praying for them. They're going to come over to your house. And you want an opportunity to ask them about spiritual issues. About where they stand with the Lord. And they're going to give you flimsy answers. They're going to give you excuses. And you just expect that. You can make any excuse in the world why not to get saved. And not to live for Jesus. But the truth is, Jesus dealt with this too, and the fundamental reason is unbelief. They do not believe. And we want to be praying for spiritual breakthrough and protection among our families. God, I pray for all the folks here this morning. There are so many families represented. Lord, we want to pray for two things. Lord, I want to pray that we recognize how the devil seeks to kill, steal, and destroy our homes. Lord, that is a, it is not a relational issue. It's always a spiritual issue led by the devil. And Lord, we pray for that protection. We pray for You to shield our homes and make them strong. Make them a Christ-centered home. And Lord, we also pray, the second part we pray for, we pray for our family members who are not saved. They need to know the Lord. They need to know you, Lord. In Jesus, Lord, you dealt, dealt with this in Nazareth. They could not believe because all they could see, they couldn't see past your earthly identity as a son and as a brother to, and as a carpenter. That's all they could see. Lord, help our family members who, who are not saved open up their eyes to see the desperate need 
for spiritual revival, for salvation, for renewal. Lord, all that we turn to is you. And Jesus, I pray, as we conclude this service, that we won't miss an opportunity to be more diligent in seeing the corruption all around us in this area of family. And Lord, we want to be bold in standing on the truth, standing against the devil, and not only that, be a witness to those we love the most. Lord, at this invitation, as we respond to you, I pray that we are bold in our faith. We never back down. We want to be bold among our families, bold among our church family too. Lord, I just pray that we are, are going to make public of what you've called us, maybe privately, to do. And Lord, I pray you take these words we've, sh- we've read and shared, and you seal them in our hearts. And we see this is your first institution, and we are to protect it and guard it and pray for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We close every worship service here with an invitation. I'm going to invite everyone to stand up. I'm going to be standing down front here with our deacons. You want to make a decision to follow Jesus? We talked about the most important thing to do is make sure you're saved. The second most important thing to do is make sure your your family, make sure you're praying for them to know the Lord. You can certainly do that. This is also our time you can join our church family. You want to have a church home, you come take my hand. I'll pray with you and present you as a new member here at Broadway Baptist Church. Myself and our deacons are standing on here as you respond to the good news.